You're listening to Semper Reform on the Radio, where the Bible alone and the Bible in its entirety is applied to all of life. There are many people who do not want to hear the truth because it will shake up the false hope they have that they're going into heaven when indeed they are not. Christ is our King. Scripture is our law. Scripture and the laws of our country now collide head on. Now, just to make it clear, we don't bow down to Caesar. So what does Paul do when he gets his big shot at the Areopagus? Watch him. Now, not only has Paul not compromised in order to get here, but once he's here, he says, your worldview is wrong, your philosophy is wrong, it's not just wrong, it's an affront to God, you ought to know better, you're in sin. But the good news is, God has extended to you an opportunity to repent. All right, welcome everybody to another podcast episode with Semper Reformanda Radio. My name is Tim, and I am in the house with a number of people. I have with me our co-host, uh, Joseph Rios, and uh, Carlos Montijo is supposed to be joining us today, but he's having technical difficulties. Uh, he is our other co-host, so hopefully if he can um, fix whatever it is that's going on with his computer, hopefully he can join us. And... I also have a, a guest with me. I, I invited him onto the the show to partake in this conversation that we are going to have today. After he left a comment, which uh, he can explain to you <laughs> why the comment <laughs> looks so looks so bad and negative. But before I before I introduce him, let me let me go ahead and remind everybody that we are part of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. I guess it's just a little bit of advertising. I don't know. How you could know how how you can know about our podcast and not know that we're a part of that network because I think that that's the primary way that people are listening to us. But go ahead and check out the other podcasts. I believe that there's ten podcasts now, uh, including us, and uh, we are a ministry under Striving for Eternity with Andrew Rappaport. Andrew Rappaport uh, has some really good stuff out there. Check out what he's doing. Uh, as always, just want to say thank you to Tim and Lynn for allowing us to uh, partner with them. So with that being said, today's episode is going to recap the last two episodes because we want to just, first of all, um, let me, before I do that, let me go ahead and uh, introduce uh, we our guest. We have a, a gentleman by the name of Gary Edwards who is from Ireland and he's uh, he's actually he's not just from Ireland. He lives in Ireland, and uh, he has a bit of an Irish accent. I'm not convinced that Edwards is an Irish name, though. <laughs> but uh, he left a comment on our fa- on our on our wall, and um, <coughs> so that proceeded to a conversation with him. I realized that he knew a lot about the group that Peter Christian is from and that he's dealt with these guys in the past 
And so I brought him on uh, to to sort of give give some perspective. He says he's been dealing with these guys for about five years. Uh, Peter Christian is not the only one who believes what he believes. That he he does have followers. He he does follow other other people, and. Um, is that uh is that the Irish uh That's my mother that's, that's my mother's clock. <laughs> Sorry uh, about that. You you are you are in Ireland. I, I thought maybe I am, yeah. The no. church bells. <laughs> okay. It'll stop now after it rings ten times, unfortunately. Ten times? Yeah. Unless I go and try and silence it. Um okay. you, actually it's nearly finished, it's nearly finished. Alright. Is it, is it coming through really loud, is, is it? Yeah, a little bit. This is coming to you from Ireland. All right. So <clears throat> I completely forgot what I was saying. But um, <laughs> Gary, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself uh, as soon as the church bell stopped ringing? <laughs> what an introduction, hey? Yeah. Um, well, my, my name's Gary Edwards. Um, I'm uh, 41 years old. I'm married with two children. I have a wonderful patient and <laughs> very forgiving wife, Michelle, and uh, my two children, Chloe Grace and Jacob, eight and seven respectively. Um, basically, I've been involved in Christian ministry from very infant age in the Christian faith. And uh, I came through Pentecostalism and, and uh, charismatic church and um, seen and uh, the errors within the doctrines and the teachings and the impact it had on my life as a young believer. Um, I'm originally from Northern Ireland. I'm from Armagh, and um, I now live in Waterford in the southeast of Ireland. And uh, I was involved for five years uh, with Pastor Miles McKee, uh, planting Sovereign Grace churches, one in uh, Wexford in New Ross, and another one in uh, in Ackworth, Georgia, with um, a few friends of ours, uh, Marissa and Mark Namir. And um, basically, I became very familiar with Reformed theology um, when I came out of Pentecostalism. And uh, progressively then, under the mentorship of Miles McKee and uh, John Fonville, Dr. John Fonville, uh, Jacksonville, Florida. He has a church there, Paramount Church. You should check them out. They're really good. And um, uh, the likes of Dr. R. Scott Clark. And now I'm uh, getting help and so forth from my doctrines from another Reverend Angus Stewart in Ballymena, Northern Ireland. So um, I've got good people around me and uh, I've been involved in Christian ministry for basically about nine years. Okay, well, thank you for uh, joining us today. And um, real quick, so Joseph, you are you are actually pulled off on the side of a road, right? Yes, sir. All right, so uh, that's how dedicated Joseph is to this podcast, everybody. He <laughs> will stop on the freeway to record with us. So Joseph, thank you for being here today. Looking forward to the discussion. Now, before, before I, uh, y you know... I kind of want to preface the ep the episode with this is that we we don't like having to call people out. It's not something that we that we enjoy. And I, I want to give a little bit of a backstory to our our conversation with Peter. And I'm hoping that this this will somebody will share this with Peter because since the first episode aired, Peter has blocked me on Facebook. Joseph, did he block you as well? 
I think probably right about the same time. Okay, so he's he's blocked both of us, and he's ceased communication. We have no way of of getting to him. I think the this the part two episode that we did, uh, where he was accusing Paul Washer of being a heretic, the part two of that somebody said that they shared it on his wall so I mean and, and by the way after we recorded the episodes I gave him both uh, I, I sent the link to him uh, so that he could have both the originals so he's he, he's had access to this uh, we, we've tried to keep keep the door open for dialogue and basically what what we're gonna do is we're gonna cover some of the points that he made in this in this uh, last episode uh, actually, in both episodes, we're going to cover some of those points, and we're going to uh, warn people away from him. And I, I think that a lot of people have difficulty when when things like this happen. There, you know, you just want everybody to get along. A lot of people may think that this is mean spirited. We we don't like doing this, but if somebody's out there preaching a false gospel, if somebody's out there leading people astray, and in a way that's 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 serious, then I think that we have a responsibility to call it out and warn people away from them, as it says in uh, Romans sixteen seventeen to mark them and avoid them. So we we tried to give Peter an opportunity to continue talking about it, to continue the the conversation, and what he did was he doubled down. And he blocked us, and he's now just going his own way. I I told him, I said, you know, I think that you need to be discipled. And he began to attack me personally, calling me, oh, wise one, why don't you disciple me, teach me, oh, wise one, just sort of mocking me. I, I ignored it, and <clears throat> I, I, didn't, I didn't retaliate or anything like that. But that's just to let you know where Peter's at. Uh, if you know Peter and you you have an ear with him I would encourage you to uh, try to reason with him about these things and if not then just pray for him but he definitely should not be out there teaching he definitely should not be out there uh, promoting himself or, or establishing himself as a teacher and I think that a lot of people were upset or not not upset but I think that a lot of people were frustrated with how how part one went because I mean we were just all over the place we were interrupting each other and I talked to several people and, and about about it and what, what I what I basically tried to point out was that there, there was a reason why I think that it was so difficult a number of people had asked me to to talk to Peter but then they had warned me as well that if if I began to engage him that he would that he would block me and that he, he would become hostile, that he would become aggressive, that he would, and that he would probably end up blocking me. So what I, what I, I didn't want was I didn't want a Facebook discussion that usually doesn't go anywhere. And I didn't want to go on his show because I wasn't sure if he would give me a copy of it. So we set up a, a, a mutual thing where let's just do a Google Hangout. You can have access to the original copy. I'll have access to the original copy, and we'll just we'll go from there. Well, I decided I I basically decided because numbers of people were telling me, hey, this guy like if you push this guy, he's he's gonna block you. I basically decided 
I'm, I'm not going to engage him prior to our discussion. And the reason why was because I didn't want to, I didn't want to lose him. I wanted to actually have a, a real conversation with him and not just some Facebook back and forth. I, I, I think that a lot of people can hide behind Facebook. I wanted to, I wanted to challenge him in a, in a, in a dialogue and a discussion. And so that left me blind. That left me in a, in a position where I, I didn't really understand his view. I didn't, it was very confusing to me. Like I said before, he was uh, disparaging Calvinists, calling them Calvies. But then he was adding the tulip to the, the gospel and saying that if you didn't believe in the tulip, then you were lost, you were damned. And so I was very confused about where he was. At one point, he accused me of uh, easy believism. At one point, he accused, it said that I needed to repent of that, and I, I'm thinking, wait a minute, I thought I was the Lordship Salvation guy, and <laughs> I'm defending Paul Washer. I, I had no idea where this guy was at. I mean, he was all over the board with me, and it, it, it reminded me a lot of when he talked to a, a cultist. I, I mean, you'll have Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door, they'll knock on your door, and they want to get to this 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 rehearsed presentation. That that they've that they've thought about that they, they they just it's like I've got I've got a presentation that I want to get to get to you, I have my talking points and I want to get to that, but but in the the two minutes that you talk to them before they get to that they say ten heretical things, and and you're you're like okay wait stop you have to wait we have to talk about you just said that Jesus Christ you know was Michael the archangel like we got to talk about that, and they want to blow past that. And just get to their their little presentation, and w when Peter started talking about the the Arminians not being saved and adding uh, adding the tulip to the gospel and all these other things and contradicting himself, there's no way that I could, I could just let him steamroll me, go flying past me and say okay like you know I'm not gonna I'm not even gonna touch that. No, I mean the gospel was at stake, and uh, there were there were some there were some very serious issues there that. I had no choice but to but to interrupt him, but to, to to stop him, and and engage him on those points, and and he didn't want to engage in those points, and we we both interrupted each other, and so Gary left a, a comment. Uh, Gary, you can explain your comment. He said that it was a uh, I think the worst debate of all time in all of history. <laughs> Ever, ever known to man, ever recorded. His ears were bleeding. I, I don't know. Uh, he said, he said some stuff. So, uh, Gary, you can, uh, you can tell us what you meant by that. Yeah, um, I actually came across the debate um, on a post by a friend, a mutual friend, that I had with Peter Christian. And when I seen he was on it, I've been listening to a few of his uh, um, sort of sermon type teachings that he was doing on the internet and um, the reason why I was listening to them uh, was because I actually had sympathy for him and uh, I, I, I actually felt you know, compelled to try and help him and uh, so I was listening to him to see if I could figure out more about him to see what he was teaching to see where he was airing and so forth and see if I could reach out to him gently but when I listened to the podcast I'd already had a uh, Dealings with Peter and his anthill mob, as I would call them, because the minute you say anything negative whatsoever, you know, there's a load of these guys start attacking you and calling you names. And uh, so I've had dealings with them in the past. And so when I listened to the podcast and I, I just had sympathy towards you because I knew what was going to happen. 
I knew he was going to try and bring you straight to the gospel. He was trying to confuse the gospel. He was trying to get you to confuse the gospel. He wanted you to make it, to define it in his terms. And uh, he, he wasn't prepared to listen to how you were prepared to present the gospel, even in simplistic terms. He was looking for theological and technical words to cause problems. And uh, I, I sort of knew he would do that. And then he started to make mistakes. And then, you know, yous were making mistakes. And, you know, it, it was hard to listen to because of that. But it wasn't um, because I've listened to a few of your pod- podcasts before, and uh, I just actually felt sorry for you <laughs> because I, I knew what was about to happen. And um, to be honest, uh, um, it, it was interesting. It was I listened to it all, and by the time I got through it, I felt exhausted. So I was imagining how you felt. And uh, then I listened to the second podcast. And whilst I was listening to the second podcast, I was communicating with yourself. So um, it was uh, so much better because Peter actually allowed you to speak. But then he had started to make mistakes himself. But, you know, yet again, uh, his aggression was coming out. His immaturity was coming out. And um, really his lack of understanding and doctrine was coming out. But how he behaved afterwards not just on your podcast, but afterwards was terrible, absolutely terrible. And that young man should not have a following. He really shouldn't. He, he, he is so immature in the faith and he really should be sitting under somebody, developing a maturity and somebody should be trying to get to the root cause of why he's so angry. You yeah. know? I, no, I, I, I agree with everything that you said. Um, ladies and gentlemen, we have a we have a special treat today. Carlos Montijo is in the house. So, Carlos, I uh, just want to give you an opportunity to say hello, so that way I can just check to see if your mic is working. I'm finally here. Can you hear me? <laughs> all right. Yeah, you're here. All right. Good. That's uh that's all we're gonna get out of Carlos unless uh, there's there's deep theological content to discuss. So, <laughs> anyways, <clears throat> Carlos is here. Uh, Carlos, we're just recapping the the background story of the of the discussion. And uh, Gary, one of the things that you said w- was that we had made we had made some mistakes, and you had pointed out to me, I, I guess, in the second episode, um, I had said that Paul had never visited the Ephesian church. That was wrong, and I, I meant to say the Colossian church, and I, I got confused. And it's funny that I actually said that because I've uh, used Acts chapter twenty, you know, where Paul pleaded with the Ephesian elders uh, day and night for three years, uh, and he warned them about wolves that would come in from among them. I've used that reference in Scripture before on our podcast, so I misspoke. But uh, l- let me give you an opportunity to wh- – was there anything else that stood out to you uh, that, that I may have said that was, that was an error or, or just off that, that needs to be corrected? Oh, Tim, I, I'm not trying to pick a hole in you, if you know what I'm saying. Um, I, 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 the very first uh, episode, I find that when Peter started to question you and question you and you were sort of jumping in on each other and stuff, um, the redemption that Christ accomplished for us, you know, being the, the gospel, um, and the redemption that is applied to us, you know, the new life, you know, regeneration, so forth, uh, that that was becoming a little bit confused at times. I felt, however, it, there was nothing heretical as such. But rather, I felt that because of Peter's sort of drilling on you, you know, to, to keep what you'd already explained, caused a little bit of that. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I can appreciate that. I, um, I think that there, you know, going back, I probably could have explained things a little bit clearer. So yeah, I, I can appreciate that. So Carlos, I, I wanted to ask you just what was your what was your take on on the overall uh, discussion with Peter? I know that you you listened to both episodes and that we we talked on the phone about it. Uh, do you want to just give us a brief? Uh, overview of your thoughts before we we dig into some of the content yeah sure I thought that the uh, debate I thought Peter was really a mess I mean he <clears throat> as anybody who has a decent any decent sense of discernment he was all over the place and um, it was painful to listen to and and tiring as uh, Gary and um, I think that at first it was it, it's very difficult to talk to somebody like that because they're so confused themselves. They, he appeared to be very confused and he appeared to uh, make a lot of category errors and lack of distinctions and just, just really bad, wrongly dividing the word of truth. And um, on top of that, I, I think in the second half it got a little bit, uh, the, the pace started to pick up a lot more and so a lot of other things started to get thrown out there and discussed without really having the chance to address things and that's very common for it to happen in a debate when that's not hit the moderated because it's just things start to come up and you you try to mention as much as you can to try to correct uh, all of the the problems that Peter was um, was uh, I guess uh, revealing and uh, it was it was interesting um, to see, uh, it, this isn't the first time that we've dealt with somebody like this, and um, it's unfortunate that uh, he has a platform because uh, he he said he was only a Christian for six years, and he really, um, I mean, by by all evidence that he showed in in that in the debate in this discussion, I mean, he should not be on a platform. He really should no. be stepping down because he's teaching false false doctrine. Well, I, I want to get into that a little bit, and one of the things that I want to point out again is that Peter added the tulip to the gospel. So, so in talking about the Arminians, he basically condemned them because they don't embrace the tulip. And one of the, I, I found it really interesting because by Peter's standard, I, I would I would say that Peter has has condemned himself because. I don't think that Peter understands the tulip. And what I mean by that is, uh, I think uh, P Peter said that there was no condition for salvation. He said that there's, there's no condition for salvation. And I, I mean, he's clearly confusing that with unconditional election. And it, so if, if Peter requires that, that one understand the tulip, and the tulip is uh, total depravity, uh, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and preservation of the saints. That's what the TULIP, the, the acronym stands for. It is uh, the, the doctrines of grace, or some people label it Calvinism. And Peter doesn't even rightly understand the, the unconditional election because he thinks that there's no condition for salvation. Unconditional election does not mean that there's not a condition for salvation. Unconditional election just simply means that there's there's uh, God there's no condition that that we meet by which God chooses us from eternity past or elects us unto salvation. To, to, sorry, uh, to be honest, uh, Tim, I 
I don't feel that election is the issue that Peter is airing. I, I feel where he is airing is more in relation to how he sees faith uh, apprehending justification. Because the, the, the problem is, is with the distinction. As you said, they're a condition, right? All the conditions in salvation was met by Christ, right? And the simple fact, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, right? So it's his doing, his dying, his burial, his resurrection in accordance with the scriptures for the remission of sins. That is the gospel in a nutshell. That is how I teach my children every single night. We'd be singing hymns and singing psalms. Sorry, singing hymns. <laughs> We'd be singing psalms and uh, and just going over what the gospel is in a nutshell. But then when you start to go into the doctrines and understanding the redemption that Christ accomplished for us by his active and passive obedience, so that we know his active uh, obedience is where he fulfills all righteousness. He fulfills all, all the law. He satisfies every single demand of it. Then we know by his penal substitutionary atonement that his death then satisfied and paid for our sins as a propitiation. So we see that salvation, that the gospel is the power of God under the salvation. And that's the, the soul power which saves us. But how do we apprehend that? And that is within then the sphere of redemption applied, where we receive the gift of faith. And the gift of faith apprehends this gospel message, this justification that Christ has, has accomplished for us. But he, it's apprehended as an instrument, never a condition. It's not a condition met by man, but rather an instrument that God has given us to take a hold of Christ and his accomplished redemption. That's why we have security in life and death. That's why we have comfort and peace, because without that, we have no security. We have no peace and our consciences would be troubled to eternity. But you see, where Peter is making the classical error is a neo-Gnostic error because he's placing faith as the catalyst to justification in a respect that he's making faith the first formal cause of justification as opposed to Christ's redemption. So in respect, Peter is placing faith in faith. So if your faith does not match his uh, five-fold anachronism of the Council of Dort, then basically he is condemning you as heretical. And he uses that to, con not only that, but he, like he turns Calvinism against Calvin. He turns Calvinism against Dort. You know, he, he's, he's very, very confused in relation to uh, understanding redemption, both accomplished and applied. And it's not necessarily him understanding unconditional election. It's more how he sees faith apprehending grace. He believes that faith is, is, a, is a knowledge that you must know these doctrines. And if you don't know them and you err in any way, you do not have the spirit of truth in you. And therefore, you are heretical. Um, does, does anybody want to add to that? Uh, so I, I would say that there is a condition for salvation, though. And I'm I'm wondering if if we're just not I don't know if we're if we're in disagreement about that but in James eight twenty four Jesus said I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am He you will die in your sins so there is a condition for salvation but God meets that condition and uh, Carlos you you had a you had a pretty good comment about God's love is not unconditional either. 
that there is a condition for God's love, but that God himself meets. Oh, Carlos dropped off. Actually, that's, that's no good. Cause I was going to ask him to explain that. <clears throat> I don't there's, know if we're saying, no, sorry, there's no condition that we meet. That's what I'm saying. It, well, the yeah, condition no. is met by God. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so we are saying the same thing. Um, yeah. But but Peter Peter was saying that there's no condition for salvation, and I'm I'm submitting that he was confusing that with uh, with unconditional election, because there is a condition for salvation. You you must believe, and and what what I want to do is I, I kind of and I appreciate I pre, I appreciate how how you're going about this, but what I want to do is I want to just basically point out that that Peter has distorted the gospel first by adding the tulip. And that if he requires that somebody understands and knows the tulip, then I, I don't think that he could be saved by his own standard because he's saying that there's no condition for salvation. But there is a condition for salvation. And what I pointed out was that if you, if you say there's no condition for salvation at all, uh, because he didn't even make the distinction that God, God meets that condition, God provides that condition, that God meets that condition for us on our behalf, that that God gives us the gift of faith, that he gives us the gift of repentance. And so that it's not, it's not something that, that we can meet in our own. But if you say that there's no condition for salvation, you fall straight into universalism because you no longer have to believe that Christ is Lord. Atheists can be saved believing in atheism, reviling God, and, and being God-haters. So there is a condition of salvation. This is, this is what we preach. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we preach. God, so, so what, what, you, what you said, Gary, I, I think is, is absolutely right. God meets that condition for us and that he, he, he provides that for us. But if Peter is requiring that somebody understand and, and knows and embraces the, the doctrine of the tulip, then he he stands condemned by his own his own standard because he's clearly not understanding the the you unconditional election and the tulip. And then he further contradicts himself because he says there's no there's no salvation there's there's no condition for salvation, but then he said unless you believe in in the tulip, then you're you're lost you're 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 unregenerate that you're damned. Well, that that itself is a condition that Arminians are not meeting by which he's condemning them. So he's he's distorting the gospel, he's setting a snare for himself because he's not he, he's not saved by his own standard. And I, I was going to ask Carlos to uh to comment on on uh there being a condition for uh, to to comment on this, but uh Carlos has apparently dropped out. He's having computer problems. If anybody out there wants to buy Carlos a computer, that would be great. But um, <laughs> I understand because uh, he's like my best friend, and I'm not going to buy him a computer. So, but uh, maybe we should start a GoFundMe account for for Carlos. But uh, Joseph, did you have anything that you wanted to say about that? No, I think you guys pretty well covered the basis. I mean, um, like I like I was explaining um, on our last recording, it seemed like he got. Uh, preaching and and teaching confused and and was accusing people of uh, of of breaking down the um, the process wrong when they were more seeking to preach uh, the need. So um, you know, like like uh, we were saying before, he was condemning people for preaching like Christ and the apostles. Um, 
uh, preaching a repentance and faith message, which is where, where he started, um, as if it was wrong to do that because he wasn't teaching the acrostic. So, um, but that's, that's more of where I got caught up in regards to his error, um, other than the necessary knowledge or the Gnosticism, which was, uh, which was apparent. So, um, I'm in complete agreement in, in, in the fact that he was, that he preaches a, a false gospel, but I don't have anything bad. I think the, what either one of you said, uh, you guys covered it pretty well. Okay. The, uh, the other thing that, you know, I wanted to call Peter out for is blatant hypocrisy because he, he got upset with me because I said that his view was heretical and he got upset with me and began to tell me that uh, he said um, he said that I was being ridiculous that I was playing Lord and judge uh, he said uh, he said you could sit there and point your finger at me like a judge uh, you need to repent of your easy believism which by the way I, again it made no sense to me that I needed to repent of my easy believism because <laughs> I'm not an easy I, I, I don't uh, I don't promote easy believism, uh, and, and I think that if you heard if you heard the discussion, that's obviously not where I stand. So, but here here's what what I find fascinating is that Peter got upset with me because I said his view was wrong, but then he <clears throat> he said that Paul Washer's view was damn heretical. So. If you're if you're going to be calling out Paul Washer as damn heretical, and you're fumbling the gospel yourself, then you can expect that. And, and you know, I, I would have more respect for somebody who's who's willing to say it to you if it's possible. I don't know if he's if he's able to get a hold of uh, Paul Washer. I, I I doubt that he would. Maybe he could have gone to the G3 conference recently and and told Paul Washer that he's a heretic, if he wanted to do that. But Whatever whatever you say in writing or on your Facebook, if you're not willing to say that to the person that you're saying it about, I have no respect for you. And so my exactly. question is, my, yeah, my question is, okay, would Peter be willing to say that to, to, to Paul Washer, if he had the opportunity, would he be able to say you're damn heretical in the same manner in which he said it on his Facebook and if, if he is willing to do that, then why is he finding fault with me for, for saying that his view was heretical? And if he's not, then I, I, I just I, I, I wouldn't respect him. But Carlos, uh, are you are you with us now? Yeah, it looks like I'm back. Okay, sounds good. Carlos, we were talking about unconditional election and in our in our conversation you you were sent you were pointing out that even God's love is conditional. Can you can you elaborate on that? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, as the Bible teaches, the Bible teaches that God is a teleological God, which is just another way of saying that God has the end in mind uh, in all that He does, because He has a purpose for everything. And so, because God has a purpose for everything, and the purpose that He has in His elect, um, God's love is obviously purposeful as well. And so. When God, when God loves us, it, that love is actually conditional because it's conditional upon you meeting the conditions that he sets forth in order to have uh, salvation and his blessings applied to you, which is namely uh, repentance and faith. The graciousness of God and the, the loving kindness and the graciousness of God comes into play because he actually satisfies not only the requirements, but also gives us the gift of faith because 
in our fallen nature, we don't love God. We're not going to want him unless he comes to us first. And so um, there, there's some very, uh, they, these can be very tricky distinctions to make when we're talking about salvation and, and the instrumental cause of our justification as, as the Reformation um, brought to light because there's the instrumental cause, which is uh, namely faith. We are justified by faith alone. And so, uh, and another problem here that um, can also get a little bit confusing is because historically speaking, in the canons of Dort, uh, the 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 guy, uh, I forget, the synod of Dort actually condemned Arminianism as heresy. So Peter Christian might sound like he's being more consistent than we are with the Reformed tradition, but in actuality, what they were what they were condemning was consistent Arminianism. So if you follow Arminianism logically then it does definitely teach lead to heresy. Uh, one example being that you would have to deny inspiration, you would have to deny uh, the fact that you can keep your salvation because if it's all dependent upon your own free will, uh, then and, and your will can override God's will, then that opens the door for all kinds of heresy. And so historically speaking, yes, uh, the, the Calvinists from the Synod of Dort did condemn Arminianism, but that was because Armenians back then were more consistent than they are today. The only reason, in other words, that that a that an Armenian Armenian is actually orthodox or sound or or can actually be saved or or considered a Christian is because he's inconsistent. If he were consistent, it would pretty much be heretical. Yeah, and I know that you said that you felt like we really didn't get to the to the heart of the issue with with Peter. Uh, Gary, I think that you you sort of feel the same way. Uh, maybe we didn't get to the heart of the issue uh, with uh, with Peter. Do you guys uh, do you guys want to take that up? I, I basically just wanted to point out that Peter is preaching a false gospel. Uh, Gary, you you labeled that as uh, neo gnostic heresy, and in in the debate, I said that Peter was adding an extra element of of knowledge. I didn't I didn't classify it as neo gnosticism. Um, can you can you give us some feedback on on what you mean what you meant by that and then maybe Carlos and and Joseph uh, can give us their perspective as well. Yeah, sure. real, real quick, one second. I want to I want to make a request. Um, so and I'll be I'll be honest. Um, can you explain the difference uh, between Gnostic and Neo Gnostic? So then that way we're we're clearing it up because a lot of times in refer reference to uh, you know what. John was battling an early form of Gnosticism. Uh, what's the difference between Gnostic and Neo-Gnostic heresy? Well, I suppose uh, you had a Corinthian dualism. You had uh, that Paul was dealing with, you know, where they were separating uh, the flesh from the spirit. And um, we would see a lot of Gnosticism, you know, uh, amongst, uh, you know, charismatics, especially, uh, you know, heretical charismatics. Um, now, uh, Neo-Gnosticism is uh, young knowledge. And uh, basically, uh, Peter is putting the emphasis, uh, the catalyst in salvation on, on the faith element and the redemption applied as opposed to the redemption accomplished. And in Romans 3.24, it says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, we see that Christ said that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. His name means Savior. So he had come to save his people. And in the, in the Reformed tradition, we say Christ alone. 
And uh, so we know that Christ accomplished our redemption. And I explained earlier how he done that, you know, by his active and passive obedience. And um, basically where Peter's getting confused is that he is using faith as in the, the redemption applied, the knowledge of faith as the catalyst to his uh, salvation as opposed to Christ. He, he, he is placing a higher element on faith. He's making faith a condition. Believe it or not, he said there was no conditions, but he was making a condition. And he's actually making a condition that's very similar to the Armenian error. Only he's putting it and presenting it in a different way. So like the charismatic, you know, who has to have these secondary and tertiary blessings of the Holy Spirit to showcase a level of spiritual elitism, Peter's doing that with knowledge. And that's why he's condemning everybody for fallacy in relation to, like, say, if you believe in pedo-baptism, Peter believes you're a heretic and that you're not saved um, because you should have the Spirit of God in you and you should therefore know the truth. And so, therefore, you're a, a heretical. That's why he condemns the confessions. Um, he also condemns you if you believe in progressive sanctification. So um, basically, because he believes Lordship salvation is, progr is progressive sanctification, and he doesn't understand the distinctions, and therefore he condemns you out of ignorance. So his, his, his neo-Gnosticism is a young knowledge. It's an immature knowledge, and it's, it's something that he's placing as the first formal cause of his justification rather than the efficacy of the atonement of Christ alone. Gary, uh, you, you, you touched on... Uh his view of uh, sanctification. Fill, fill me in on that because I, throughout the discussion, I kept thinking, I, I kept having this thought in my mind, this, this guy is confusing justification with sanctification, especially yeah. when he, he started talking about uh, people, uh, the, the reference that Paul gives, I think, in Corinthians about uh, eating, uh, drinking milk and, and eating meat. And, he basically was saying, you know, that when when he was drinking milk as a as a young, you know, believer, that uh, it was just it was very confusing to me. Um, yeah, is is he merging? So he he believes in definitive sanctification. I, I guess that, and I know Robert Raymond talks about this in his uh in his systematic theology. I didn't have time to read over it prior to this discussion, but. Is that what he's doing? Is he is he conflating yeah. the two? He, well, here's, here's the problem. Yes, he is confusing justification with sanctification. And um, he's also confusing sanctification progressive with regeneration, which you've seen because he thought it was a continual work, a progressive work of the spirit being regenerated as opposed to uh, 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 an act of God as in bringing us from death to life. You know, so he... he he was getting, he gets confused on, on both areas. Um, basically, uh, John Calvin said this when you're talking about discernment. He says, uh, where is the man so undiscerning as to not to distinguish the one from the other? And that's the person who can't distinguish justification from sanctification. Now, I have sympathy for Peter because I actually had this problem. I came from Pentecostal background, as I said, charismatic background, and I seen people using sanctification as a means to elevate themselves in ministry by a false sense of Christian piety. If you could pray in tongues all day, if you could be wear a really nice suit with a really 
good tie, if you could prophesy, if you could walk around with this appearance, outward appearance of being squeaky clean, they perceive that as a as a, 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 a as a work of sanctification, secondary blessings of the Holy Spirit, uh, manifesting all these gifts, and therefore these people are because they're maybe charismatic and immature in faith and don't have an established in doctrine, are being put into pastoral roles, eldership roles, and through in the churches to teach. So um, that's that's why. Uh, I have sympathy with Peter because I come from a background where I've seen that. You see, Peter then came on to the doctrines of grace coming from a Pentecostal background. So he's seen all this synergistic uh, false, you know, works. And that's with him. And then he starts to hear the gospel, the justifying work of Christ by his atonement. He starts to hear that it's not about you, but it's all about Christ. He reads in John that, that uh, I must uh, uh, decrease for him to increase. He starts to hear all this, you know, it's all about Jesus, Jesus plus nothing. And therefore, he then starts to look at sanctification as nothing more as a false sense of Christian piety and a backdoor for people to rob the justifying work of Christ in his atonement, thus being Arminianism. Now, the thing is with Peter that when I said to him, I gave him an analogy, and I thought it was a really good one for him to understand, and I sent you the link to it. I said, if Christ is the sun, and the light that comes down from the sun is justification, but the heat that comes from the sun is sanctification, neither the light nor the heat can be added into, but rather we would reflect the benefits of it. Now, the light would come upon you and cover you, where the heat would infuse within you and then reflect out of you. So basically, if you want to look at sanctification as progressive form, and through that analogy, what do we showcase? A suntan. Whilst we stay in the light and in the heat of our Savior, and we're not walking outside of that light, and we're coming back inside. That's why we see this progressive nature, this maturity in faith, this developing and our understanding of the doctrine. So I tried to show him. Then I broke down a word study as well for him in the Greek to show him the, the progressive nature of, in Philippians, uh, the progressive nature, or First Peter, sorry, the, the progressive nature in relation to our language. You know, be sanctified in your language. Like if we were definitively sanctified, it would say you are sanctified in your language. Definitive sanctification is what Christ has accomplished for us, right? He, like Paul spoke to the, to the uh, it's a transcendent holiness. It's a setting apart. It's what, what Paul said to the Corinthian church. He says, you are sanctified. He didn't say you will be. Earlier yourself there, Tim, when you said that you were reading Acts 20, you know, the Ephesians church. Paul said to the Ephesian church, he called them to you who are sanctified. This progressive, uh, or no, this uh, definitive calling so that cannot be added to. That's something that is accomplished by Christ. That is the heat that comes down from the sun. Um, but the, the, the effects of that, the progressive nature, the renewal in the whole man is something that the Holy Spirit is doing in us, out of us. And we manifest the fruit of that by our obedience. But Peter does not understand any of that. He just sees it out of fear, I believe, because of where he comes from, his history, his background. So even to this day, even now, and I, I went to Grace Book uh, and I, I 
challenged him, told people not to follow him, to watch him, you know, because of his behavior, not fully because of what he says, because to be honest, he's confused. He needs help. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, let me let me ask everybody this question. Um, and, and Carlos, you, you might have something to, to say to this point. Confusing, merging justification with sanctification, is that heretical? It, I, I think, Carlos, uh, you, can, you can correct me on that, but I think that that's basically what the new perspective on Paul uh, does. They, they merge justification with sanctification. I, uh, Gary, I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with that. Uh, I did, yeah. Yeah. What do, you guys, what do you guys make of that? Would you guys say that it's heretical? Well, Peter's not merging the definitive sanctification with the justifying work of Christ. So he's just denying the progressive nature. So in that respect, he's not heretical as such, more in error. So um, a similar error to what I held. He does present a clear distinction in uh, justification, and he presents sanctification as a holiness and a setting apart that God has done for us. But he sees it no different than justification in a respect that it's uh, imputed to us, but he's not actually seeing it as in infused within us. Uh, Carlos, did you have anything to say? Uh, uh, this what Gary was saying kind of reminded me also of what what part of an an issue uh, that I that I thought was an issue that wasn't really getting addressed, and that was one of uh, mere Christianity. Um, but the what we're talking about now with respect to Peter and and conflating justification, yeah, that is a heresy. Uh, that's basically the heresy of Romanism. It's the heresy of uh, of many false religions to to conflate justification with our sanctification, because you're essentially teaching legalism or uh, uh, salvation by works. Once you add sanctification to uh, justification, and um, but with uh, with Peter, I guess he sounded he just seems like he's very confused in his lack of his total inability that's funny coming from the tulip his his total inability uh <laughs> to make distinctions <laughs> like just yeah to, to just make basic distinctions between these very important doctrines and how they relate to each other and the fact that he he i was very i don't even know if he knows what he's talking about or if he understands himself what he's what he's saying because when he was talking about regenerate or yeah regeneration being progressive and then uh denying progressive sanctification it just it, it, to me it seemed just more like he didn't understand the differences between uh what those doctrines actually are and uh, as a result it just makes a mess of of just about everything um but but going back real quick to the issue of mere christianity um i thought this was a big problem and and Peter kept trying to throw this in your face by saying, well, what do you have to believe in order to be saved? And um, that and you kept kind of giving him a, like a summary of certain basic, you know, gospel doctrines. And uh, part of the issue with that question is that there isn't necessarily a definitive answer to that in the uh, from what the Bible teaches, because. You know, the thief on the cross was saved, and we, we it's very hard to, to figure out what exactly he knew there. Um, so there are there is a sense in which you should obviously um, 
you need to get the gospel straight. And if you have any fundamental uh, doctrine, like a primary doctrine, that, that if you're holding that in error, then there's a good chance that you're not saved. Um, but the question as to what do you have to believe, like what are the minimum set of propositions that you have to believe to be saved, it's a very tricky question and it kind of misses the point because um, there, there, I mean, there's also elect babies, you know, babies die and are they elect or can they be saved? Well, sure, they can be saved. God can save whoever he wants. Um, but the, the question of what you, the, the minimal set of, you know, beliefs that you have or doctrines that you have to believe, I think is the wrong question because in the Bible, there is no really such thing as mere Christianity. Uh, mere Christianity doesn't exist in the Bible, and that was a movement that got a lot of people into trouble with uh, C.S. Lewis and other folks like that, because once you begin to reduce Christianity to this minimal sort of vague set of, of doctrines like, like Lewis tried to do, you, then you start including Ro the Roman Catholic Church in there, because you start to fall back on these uh, earlier creeds that are not very specific. And so the problem, I think, is that what are is really the distinction that has to be made is the the one between primary issues and secondary issues and if and if anything if you have if you're wrong about a primary issue and it's one thing to be ignorant of something it's another thing to deny it or to reject it the way peter appears to be rejecting it and that's why he is in serious error and he is in danger of hellfire because if you deny if you knowingly understand and deny a primary doctrine, then you are in danger of of hellfire. You you are lost. You're a false teacher, heretic, whatever. Um, and that I think is was a big issue because being ignorant of something, you can be ignorant of certain things, even possibly primary issues, and still be saved. It's just a matter of you have to. It's a growing process. Um, and, the, and and that's why the thief on the cross, he didn't, he, there's really not a whole lot that he could have known. I mean, he had just gotten on the save right then and there. And um, I mean, he, he has a, probably a vague idea. I mean, did he even understand the Trinity that well? It's hard to say if he even understood what the Trinity was. So you, yeah, he was probably ignorant of it. But as a, now, that's not the same thing as denying it. So denying it is is where you you are in trouble, and that's why Paul condemns the Galatians for teaching a false gospel. Can I interject? Sure. Yeah. Um. Rome Rome says that justification is sanctification and therefore progressive. Um. Peter isn't making that error. He's not saying uh, sanctification uh, is justification. He's and nor is he making justification progressive. So in that respects. Uh, he, he wouldn't be condemned. However, um, here's where I feel the real problem lies. Uh, you just said there about what a Christian is and, you know, and so forth, easy believerism and all this. And when you mash it all in together, a Christian biblically, it means follower of Christ. So the faith in the cross follow Christ. You know, but regeneration precedes faith as what you spoke about in the first episode with Peter. And the simple fact is that the regenerated person who's being drawn uh, by the spirit to the gospel, to hear the gospel, to apprehend it by faith, uh, is, is, has went through the uh, transformation. He has received of God the covenantial promises. You know, he's, his heart of stone has been turned to a heart of flesh. He's received a new spirit. You know, the Lord is doing this work in him. 
So the simple fact is then the evidence of that, you know, it uh, doesn't depend on the, the, the requirement of the faith, uh, but rather on the efficacy of the atonement. And, uh, you know, so whilst as long as the faith that apprehends it, like John the Baptist, you know, within the womb was apprehending, the, you know, the gospel. And uh, we see these other illustrations of that. But I think when you want to present uh, uh, children, and we're talking about children. We have to remember here that Peter is trying to say he's eating steak, but he's really drinking milk and should be on milk and shouldn't be on a pulpit and shouldn't be teaching the church. And he's not an elder. He should not be admonished in doctrines. And the first qualification of an elder is, is to be above reproach in doctrines, and, and he's not. And so he's being elevated to a status that he shouldn't be, be on. He really should be looked at as a young convert, confused in the faith, and sitting under uh, false teaching. Yeah, Carlos, did you uh, did you have anything else to say on that note? Um, yeah, I guess, and I'm. Uh, it's so it's pretty clear that what I, from the debate that um, Peter was in fact, and I think you probably already mentioned this, Tim, but he was in fact teaching uh, damnable doctrine, and you know, putting putting requirements because if you're, you're essentially he's putting requirements as to what you need to believe that are that the that the Bible does not uh, state in order to be saved. And I think that's what that's what Gary, you're trying to make a distinction between uh, the fact exactly. that yeah, between the fact that the, our redemption is not accomplished by us; it's accomplished on our behalf by Christ. And exactly. the but the it, the way it's applied to us and appropriated to us is through faith, and so the faith the it, it's by faith and you know faith it's yeah it's faith in Christ and and faith in the gospel, and and as Paul explicitly mentions in First Corinthians fifteen that that is of first importance, that tells exactly. you that the gospel is a primary issue it's a primary doctrine, and so for the church. Yes, and so um, well, there, let me go ahead. Yeah, go well, ahead. Let me uh, let me just add some some clarity to here's here's what I was trying to do in in the discussion with Peter. He he was condemning Arminians because they didn't believe in the tulip, and he is adding that to uh, he is adding that to the gospel itself. And so I I mean I agree with everything that you guys are saying, and I appreciate everything that you guys are saying. And I wasn't trying to to give a set. Uh, I wasn't trying to give people a list of propositions that determine whether or not a person is saved. So here, here's what I was actually trying to do: was I was trying to illustrate a person that, let's say, this person believed that Jesus is. Uh, the, the the word made flesh, that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, that Jesus uh, came and died on the cross for our sins. I was trying to say, let's say, let's say there's a person out there who believes in all of these propositions. And it's not a definitive list. I mean, uh, Carlos, uh, I, th I think you made some, some good points uh, about, m you know, mere Christianity being reduced to a minimalist uh, set of propositions that it's, it's very yeah. difficult to, to nail down. What I was trying to do was just simply say, hey, Peter, there's this guy that believes this, and he believes this, and he believes this, and he believes this, but he, he doesn't necessarily understand the tulip yet. Can this person be saved? 
and and that's what I was trying to 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 sort of ask him because I I found it I found it absurd that he would you know and, and it's interesting talking about the thief on the cross because we we talked about that in the episode and then later on on his Facebook he, he basically I, I asked him I said so the thief on the cross believed in the tulip and he said well I don't know uh, and I think that that was a right answer to say. But then later on in a in a Facebook discussion, he doubled down and said, "Well, the thief on the cross uh, knew and understood the tulip." And um, unfortunately, I, I didn't have. I, I wish that I'd, I I could have gone back to to uh, screenshot the, the the comments and the threads because I I didn't have uh, I, I I didn't expect to be blocked at that time. And so I, I didn't I didn't get a copy of that, but he, he doubled down, and, and because that's the necessary, that's the logical conclusion of his view. If if you have to believe in the tulip and embrace it and know it and understand it, which Peter I, I would submit doesn't, because he once again, you know, he, he confused he's confused about unconditional election. Or um, <clears throat> if if you have to believe that, then if the thief on the cross was was saved. Then the thief on the cross necessarily knew that, understood it, and believed that. I don't think that you can make that case for scripture. And here, here's the other thing that I want to point out is I think that a lot of people look. I got into a lot of trouble, uh, Gary. I don't know if you've heard our podcast, but I got into a lot of trouble for saying that Roman Catholics aren't saved. And even <laughs> yeah, you're you're right. You're right. They're not. They believe in a, in a different gospel. Different and, spirit as well. Yeah, and and so, but but I I can imagine that people have family members that that are in Roman Catholicism and that that that's difficult to receive. That's difficult to hear when when you 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 say these comments like that. And I can imagine that there's people out there who who themselves do not understand or or know the tulip or know Calvinism. Because they're new to the faith, and they've placed their, their, their faith and their hope in Jesus Christ. Uh, like I said before, when I was talking to Peter, maybe they saw a Ray Comfort video. I don't know. Uh, you know, I think Ray Comfort has some good stuff. I, I don't agree with his es eschatology. But let's say there's somebody out there who who is a new convert, and they don't understand these things. I don't want them to fall into despair because somebody like Peter is out there condemning them and saying, unless you know this and understand this, you're you're condemned to hell. I would I would point to the thief on the cross who places his faith and his hope in the promise of Jesus, and and, and recognize that that he was without sin, that he had it, he he confessed it on the cross, that he he he, uh, he that, that he deserved to be on the cross, but that Jesus didn't, and that's that's essentially what every every Christian comes to. To, to recognize is that I deserve to be on the cross, but Christ didn't. And so Christ in that moment promised him eternal life, and, and he, was, he was secured in that. I, I would want people out there to, to, to not be discouraged with what Peter has said and, and to, to hear it from, from us on, on our podcast that th this, is, this is not the gospel, and... You know, I I think it's right doctrine. I think that it's right doctrine. I think that that uh, I'm I'm a Calvinist. I, I or I believe in the doctrines of grace, but I'm not adding that to the gospel. And I just don't want people out there to fall into despair. Uh, so, do you guys, go for it, Joseph. Awesome. Okay. So really quick, 
Uh, I think it's first off uh, a little bit on a less serious note. I think it's really impressive uh, that an Irishman from Ireland came up with a tanning analogy. Um, <laughs> you awesome. like that? <laughs> Me as white as snow. <laughs> yes. Uh, so 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 bravo to you, sir. Um, second, I think um, I think the the thief on the cross is a, is a fantastic litmus test for a lot of people's uh, theology. Um, you know, whether it's a uh, it's a actual works based salvation, as if you thought you needed to physically be baptized or you weren't saved, or whether it's an intellectual assent um, or intellectual um, concession or understanding or intellectual works based salvation. If your if your theology can't um, work with a thief on the cross without imposing your theology on that situation, not being able to extract it from scripture, uh, then it's wrong. Um, it's a it's it's wonderful uh, that it's there because that is the the standard, right? Um, Jesus said, "You are saved." He was saved. So we what we know about um, you know soteriology, we understand how it happened. Um, but he, but it basically takes off all of the uh, all of the extra requirements that a lot of people put, whether it be uh, facts <clears throat> to agree with or works to be done. And I just uh, I think it's a good place to to run everything past, um, and and uh, unfortunately uh, he exposes his his uh, his false teaching by not being able to deal with that without imposing his system on it. Yeah, Joseph, uh, I agree um, fully. Uh, one thing about the Reformed tradition, um, and uh, one thing that really helped me come away from this sort of antinomian error of Peter's was um, to understand uh, the three G's, uh, guilt, grace, gratitude. And if you look at the thief on the cross, he, he knew he was condemned by his sin. He did. And there he was before his saviour. So the sin drove him to the grace, the grace of the saviour on the cross. And he expressed gratitude. And gratitude is a loyal response and thankfulness for the salvation that we have received. So no matter how simplistic you want to make it or how theological you want to make it that's the truth of dividing the law gospel distinction it is and uh, we get to see the guilt where the law condemns us for our covenant breaking and sinfulness defining god's holy covenant and law we get to see the grace of our savior on the cross who gives him the assurance of his eternal life by his doing not by the thief on the cross and we get to see then the gratitude from the thief on the cross who, who, who acknowledges Christ, who declares him, praises him, worships him. And that's why it's so simple sometimes. And when you get people who try to uh, ram, uh, I, I, like I started to call them sovereign grace, no grace. You know, so it's S-G-N-G because of the fact is that the way they're ramming this in Ackerman down people's throats without understanding it themselves is not reflecting the grace of Christ, because the simple fact is that grace given produces and grace shown. Look at Jonah and his hard heart and his hostility towards the Ninevites. And the Lord, you know, took him through the storm, had him swallowed by the great fish. And he cries out, you know, to the Lord he does. And he declares salvation belongs to the Lord. And out of a thankful heart and heart enlarged with gratitude, goes forward to Nineveh and delivers the gospel. Carlos. Did you? Uh, I saw that you had unmuted your mic. Did you have something to say? Yeah, just a couple of things. Uh, going off of what you had said about giving the example about somebody who believed this and you know there's these basic doctrines and uh, theoretically speaking, uh, you can deny tulip 
and um, to some extent and and still be a Christian um, that's not without its problems obviously and the only way you would be able to do that or to get away with it is that, is that if you're inconsistent in your in your theology um, but that's another that's another problem that's another tricky kind of problem because those are very important doctrines they're obviously not necessarily it's hard to to get into the fact that you know is it a primary issue is a secondary issue well they're obviously important issues because you're kind of talking about the back-end process of salvation um, but that is of course not to confuse it with um, the means of salvation itself and so uh, that that I think is you know because Armenians are still they can still be saved and not necessarily accept all of the points and the other thing is that going back to I uh, just went blank uh, man this is frustrating uh, the the uh, when he was talking about um, salvation and uh, man this is like the more important point too and I just forgot it go ahead you can continue I'll, I'll try to remember then let's just go ahead and stop it here um, this episode will be a little bit shorter than our usual episode. Hey, I just remembered. I just remembered. Go <laughs> ahead, Carlos. Okay. Um, let me just say this. Um, okay. So the other, the other issue with respect to the thief on the cross, uh, the thief on the cross was. Uh, it's important to be able to fit that into your doctrine, into your into your systematic theology, because the event obviously happened, and it it is. It's a, Joseph put it in a good way of. It is kind of a litmus test of exposing uh, potential errors or inconsistencies in your view, as it did with P uh, Christian uh, or Peter. I'm sorry, and but the problem, another problem with that is uh, the thief on the cross is a bit of an exception. Uh, he's actually kind of an extraordinary exception because nobody really has the opportunity that he has of dying right next to Jesus on the cross, and so um, there is a sense in which. That's not an ideal case um, because, you know, in one sense, it's like, well, oh, that's nice to have Christ right next to you affirming your salvation. Uh, but in another sense, um, we also have to be mindful of the fact that that's not an ideal scenario because when the Bible talks about examining ourselves and, and having assurance of our faith, it's talking about examining our doctrine and our lifestyle. And so um, that also has to be taken into account that ordinarily that the process that the Bible sets forth for us is when we are say we're Christians we have to examine ourselves continually and evaluate ourselves periodically in, uh, uh, of for for our doctrine and our our lifestyle to see if it is in accord with what uh, the scripture teaches in passages like first in uh, books like first John and can I so, say real, real quick about how I think the thief and the cross fulfills that um, it sure. would be, it, it's super simple. Um, so um, he had right uh, he had right understanding of, of who Jesus was. Um, his his doctrine uh, was there. He he affirmed who he was, um, and then after that he proclaimed who he was uh, by his words. Um, his he actually did have um, at least to a degree right doctrine and then a right response, just as uh, the three G's you were pointing out earlier, which I've never heard before, but I'm going to ask you at some later point to, to remind me of that so I can use that because it was, it was very helpful. But, um, but, he did, but the thief on the cross displayed both. Uh, hey, right. hey, Joseph, guess what? You can have a copy of this episode. So 
You can just go back and listen to the three G's. You just have to tell me you heard this. What's that? Uh, nothing. We could we could have that conversation later. <laughs> okay. I'm just yeah, I'm just and, kidding with you. And uh, yeah, just to add a little bit to that. That that's another good uh, point because, right? Obviously, the th the thief met those those you know in some sense uh, conditions for uh, salvation. Obviously, he was saved, but the the and and if he had the opportunity he would have fulfilled or he would have, his lifestyle would have reflected that of first john and uh those those passages that tell us to examine ourselves because he clearly showed that he was affirming christ as as uh, messiah as his savior and his lord and and uh as as somebody who wanted to submit to his to submit to him um so but yeah that that's yeah. Because other, there's these deathbed conversions that you obviously have to account for. That they, of course they're possible, but they're not ideal. I mean, it's better. I guess it's in one sense it's better late than never. Can I interject there a second? Sorry. Can I jump in, sure. or do you want to speak to Joseph? No, really, really quick. I was just gonna say one, one real quick thing, and then go for it. Um, he, interestingly enough, and I, I don't know how strong of a case I can make for this, but. He affirmed the deity of Christ in so much that he asked it, asked him to grant him something only God could do. Um, and I think that's an interesting thing to point out. Um, and other than that, go for it. Yeah, well, I have a couple of things to say. Well, first thing uh, to you, Carlos, uh, this, I don't know if you've heard this before, but maybe it'd be something that will stretch your or challenge your uh, theological intellect. Um, tell me anybody who died around Christ. You'll not um, find anyone. I'm not sure what you mean. Well, there was nobody died in the presence of Christ. When Christ was around them, they couldn't die. You'll not find it anywhere in Scripture where you'll see somebody dying in the presence of Christ. That's why Christ died first. So the thief on the cross actually would have watched Christ die. He would have. But also, uh, in relation to what you were saying there about, you know, the fruit of the gospel, you know, regeneration and uh, new life and, you know, basically uh, you shall know them by their works. Um, like uh, I feel sometimes that we have this neo-nomian tendency, you know, to be a bit, little bit like Richard Baxter, the English Puritan, to always not be satisfied with faith alone in Christ alone, to want to add a work condition to it, because you know, faith, uh, what stems forth from faith is works. Naturally, you know, they've been ordained by God and they're acted out in us, but it's Him who's acting and willing in us to bring these things to fruition. I wrote this post recently, and I just think it's relevant. And it says uh, we have a tendency to uphold people at times on the basis on the basis of Christian piety, or discredit people at the same time on the basis of Christian piety. False doctrine is what reveals antichrists primarily, and true doctrine is what reveals men of Christ primarily. Christian piety follows, not determines. You see, the Roman Catholic Church and the Mormons and all of great works no evidence of salvation it's uh, the Christian party follows the, 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 the salvation of Christ alone by faith alone and so like even though the faith in the cross's works would be very minimal you know it's no different than somebody who's encountered Christ and gets hit by a bus or you know like you have this Armenian theology where people feel that if they backslide for two seconds and get hit by a bus and die in their sins and haven't repented of them, therefore they have no security. 
you know, the, the Heidelberg Catechism question one tells us that our only comfort in life and death and body and soul is in the justifying blood and redemption that Christ alone has accomplished for us. That is our only security in life. Never our works. Good works follows. It doesn't determine. Well, yeah, that, that might get into some interesting discussion because I don't know if I disagree uh, because it, the word that you have to be careful to use is evidence, that uh, those good works are evidences of us being saved. Fruit is uh, evidence. Fruit's yeah. evidence of the vine. Right. You know, the vine, the, yeah, fruit is evidence. So the, the fact is that it's not a matter of disagreeing. Like if, if you hold to reform confessional doctrines and truth, that's factual. Right, and that's that's why I was just making that point because the thief, and this, again, the thief is kind of exceptional because he had no works. He literally couldn't do any good works because he was pinned on a cross. And so his gratitude, his thankfulness, is a work. His proclamation his was expression. a work. Yeah, his his proclamation is a work. It's evidence of works. It's fruit. It's it's off the vine. It's that's works. Thankfulness. A prayer is a work. We need to be we need to be careful there because we could we could uh, sort of tipple into neo-nomian uh, uh, theology there where we're trying to infuse back. That's what Peter is worried about, to be honest. But he's not presenting it right, and he's got a whole load of doctrines wrong also. Well, what gratitude are you referring to? Well, gratitude is a loyal response to the grace that we have received. Therefore, works. So from the vine produces fruit. It's not separated. You know what I'm saying? There's a distinction there, but the, the, the our fruit is not salvaic. It's not. It's it's thankfulness. It's 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 gratitude. It's a loyal response. It's not what determines salvation. We're saved by grace through faith. We're not saved by grace through faith through works. So let me just clarify. It sounds like so, and I, I understand what you're saying, but it sounds like you're just saying to clarify in in general um that uh the gratitude is the is the is the work that the uh, that the faith produces uh, exactly if you, if you had if you had a, a musical instrument right faith is an instrument right so if you have a musical instrument i used to say that when you when when faith as the instrument apprehends grace what what blows out of that instrument is repentance and works <laughs> you know the I mean because you can't separate them but there's clear distinctions there for a reason and like so it's important that we don't confuse them because therefore we can become more about watching like fruit place as opposed to upholding the testimony and the gospel of christ alone which is the efficacy and the power in salvation which produces the gratitude in the works so we give all the glory to god instead of you know somehow trying to run around looking for a a, a, a wrinkle or a blemish and perfect blemish in our brother you know whenever with a tree trunk on our eye that's that's why we need to be careful with these distinctions. Not that, uh, by the way, Carlos, I'm not saying you're saying that. <laughs> I'm just saying that I'm, I'm bringing it into the context to, to what Peter is confused about also. It looks like we lost Carlos. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> okay. So I think um, I, I think we're we're discussing the issue of assurance, uh, not not necessarily the issue of uh, salvation. So I, I just want to make that clear uh, that everybody here is on the same page that in uh, basically what I said to Peter Christian was that faith uh, works are not part of faith but they are uh, an inevitable consequence of faith 
and so I'm I'm kind of it, it sounds like you guys are actually saying that the the, the thief on the cross did have works uh, prior to this conversation I would have said that he didn't have works because um, I, I'm I'm wondering if there's uh, situations where people may not have time like a deathbed conversion they they may not have time to perform any works and you're saying that his gratitude was a work and that um, his I guess his profession of faith was a work. Uh, I'm not really sure because his profession of faith is a gift. It's not a work, but his gratitude is the response to that. Okay. You know, so he is. But, but you're saying of, you're saying that really the thief quick. on the cross did have works. Yeah, his gratitude, what he proclaimed, is a work. Like anything from our will, from us and our will that we do, can be classified as a work. Okay, I'm. I'm 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 fine with that. I mean, I I hadn't thought about it in that in that respect uh, before, and so let me ask you on the issue of assurance. Would you say that that a person can have assurance without works? Well, well, that's a bit of an oxymoron, <laughs> you know. Unless, like, if you want to look at an infant who dies uh, in the womb, uh, you know, uh, what's the assurance? A common child. You know what I mean? So that's the assurance that you're holding on to. You'd like you're holding on that the child has a faith which is apprehending God in a way that we just don't fully understand or appreciate at times. But um, in relation to can uh, a person uh, be saved and have no works? Well, you know, that's anything that you do from the moment you've been saved is a work on to God. It's gratitude, loyal response. Uh, it's not salvation. It's it's uh, it's just where you bow down low to, as Moses did. He he bowed down low to worship on high. You know that's the that's the loyal response of those who have apprehended the grace and the and the truth of Christ. So um, even though Moses was you know pointing forward and you know in shadows and types, but even still, uh, it's very clear that we are. are Anything that we do out of our will in relation to our offering, our giving, our, our, our servitude, uh, is our worship is works. I, I think that you, uh, you can't, um, I mean, Jesus himself uh, in, in, uh, in one of the parables uh, referred to a tree that produced no fruit and then was consequently going to be cut down. Um, the, um, that, that, that actually covers a few different things, and it's not worth breaking that completely apart and on the different things it's talking about. But um, it seems that that uh, that there's no there's none offered uh, for uh, for somebody who doesn't uh, produce works. But I also would argue that, uh, and I think we talked about this on the on the uh, the discussion with Peter that uh, that works, or I'm sorry, assurance is not necessary for salvation. Um, the uh, you you don't have to to be sure to be saved. Um, but, Christ's um, justification is our assurance of salvation. Right. Yeah, so yeah. I, I'd, say, I'd, say, I'd say that if you don't, if you don't um, just based on what, what Jesus taught and the way he taught, I can't imagine somebody would have assurance of their of their salvation if they were uh, uh, like walking in darkness, as John would put it. All right, well, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm agreeing with what you guys are saying. I, I, I was I was thinking differently about the thief on the cross prior to this, but 
yeah, I just want to make it clear that, that works are not part of faith, but they're a consequence of faith, and I think that we're all on the same page. And yep. um, so I want to leave it there. Uh, Carlos, uh, like I said before, he was having computer problems. He's dropped out. That's um, that's fine. I want to go ahead and close it out. And just final thoughts on Gary. You, you said that – final thoughts on Peter Christian. Uh, Gary, you said that you wanted to warn people away from him, that you you do think that he is heretical. I, if if that's wrong, then, then let me know. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Um, yeah. Well, I, I can I can read to you exactly what I wrote about Peter Christian and put it up on on the Grace Book, you know, which I'm a ministrator of. And the Grace Book we focus on preaching the grace and the gospel of Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And uh, I wrote, I'd encourage all Grace Book members to mark and be extremely worried about the behaviour and false and wild claims of Peter Christian. This anyone who believes in progressive sanctification is heretical and and false converts. I asked him to answer a few questions in relation to a debate that he had on a podcast below to which he has come out attacking me like a savage dog, telling all sorts of lies. Please, church, do not follow this young man's teaching. He is infant in the faith, if even, and he shouldn't be gathering so much attention. He believes that if you believe in pedo baptism, you are not in the faith. He believes that if you believe in progressive sanctification, you are not in the faith. He believes that if you are wrong in any facet of the doctrines of grace, lack knowledge in brackets for him, the five points of Calvinism, to which he is also very confused, by the way, in brackets, you are not in the faith. And then I wrote neo-gnostic. He believes that if you don't condemn the likes of John MacArthur, Paul Washer, Steve Lawson, R.C. Sproul, and others, you are not. You are conforming to easy believerism, and therefore not in the faith. And um, I went on to say that he spoke on, you know, the Bible uh, thumping wingnut, and um, that I then asked Peter to answer a few uh, questions to ascertain exactly what it is he believes. I asked him, one, do you present any theological difference from those who teach progressive sanctification and those who teach lordship salvation? Number two, are these words synonymous in your understanding, lordship salvation and progressive sanctification? Number three, do you believe that anyone who teaches progressive sanctification is heretical? And number four, do you believe anyone who teaches LS, lordship salvation, is heretical? And uh, Peter then, you know, got into name calling and trying to get all his friends involved and you know some of them were gracious to be honest and one of them started to communicate with me and started to ask questions but other other ones are sort of saying to me Gary you're believing you're defending these easy believers and all this sort of stuff and I'm saying no we do not have the evidence to condemn these men of what you are charging them with I do I believe that Paul Washer possesses certain neo-gnostic uh, are not neo-gnostic, uh, neo, uh, uh, neonomian tendencies. Yes, I do. I'm not saying that he's a heretic. I'm saying sometimes he does focus a lot on the fruit. But that's my point. It doesn't damn him. I'm not damning his ministry. I'm not attacking the man. That's a personal preference, and I would love to talk about it another time. But in relation to the Lordship Salvation, you, you know, debate, should I say. But uh, on the other side of it, Peter is just grouping everybody in history who believes in progressive sanctification, calling it Lordship Salvation, damning them all as heretical, as well as everybody that believes pedo-baptism and, and so forth and all. The man is just damning everybody around him 
And whilst I don't think that his, his some of his teaching, whilst I don't think he should be damned in, in by what he's teaching exactly because he's very confused, I feel that the way he's attacking sheep and attacking the church of Christ sort of shows who he really is. He's behaving like a savage wolf. So in that respect, you know, scripture is damning him, not me. I pray for him. I have sympathy for him. I really do hope he sees the error in his ways, repents before the Lord, apprehends, apprehends the grace of Christ's gospel, and therefore lives a life full of gratitude, enriched in love for God and his neighbor. Well, I would also warn people away from him uh, for, for the same reasons, uh, but primarily because he's distorting the gospel. And I would say that his view of the gospel is heretical. Uh, Gary, you, you said that he was a neo-Gnostic, and uh, in, in the discussion I, I pointed out that he was adding an extra element of, of knowledge to, to the gospel. I'm very cautious about... Th this is where it becomes difficult because I'm going to say that his, his, view of the, his, his view of the gospel is heretical. And consequently that makes him a heretic and my concern is that he has a platform and he's teaching these things to other people and he's when you when you start rebuking and condemning people you you're you're going to you better be right about what you're saying and my my concern is that He's actually out there teaching a false gospel. And so if you look at Galatians chapter 1, and Paul says, if anyone comes to you and preaches to you another gospel, let him be accursed or let him be anathema. That's I, I have a very serious concern for Peter that he falls under that right now. Now, let me, let me give this caveat. I know Roman Catholic priests who, n not personally, by the way, but I, I know of a Roman Catholic priest that, uh, that, I, I know of his ministry, and I, I follow him. And um, he was a he was a, a Roman Catholic priest for a number of years. And and while being a Roman Catholic priest, he preached a false gospel. But he came out of that, and he's now saved. And he he uh, is, uh, is Dr. Bennett, who writes for the Trinity Foundation. And I I, I know I know Richard. Yeah. Uh, do you know, know him personally? Him, uh, yeah, I know him personally. Yeah. Oh man. All right, so you need to get he's, him. On. He's been he's been in priest in my church. Really? I, I, yeah, I, I actually was a I'm a, a associate pastor with Miles McKee Ministries, and Richard Bennett and Miles McKee are very close friends. And I've had Richard stay with me. I've brought him around Ireland. I've brought him to my father-in-law's church. I know Richard. Yeah. Okay. Well, he he is. I I love what that man preaches. I love what that man puts out. I, I follow his ministry and. Uh, he uh, listened to his testimony. He he was a Roman Catholic priest, and and uh, he came out of that, and and he's saved, and thank God for him. And so, folks, that's my prayer for Peter Christian. I I, I like the guy. I think he's a nice guy. Um, I think my my family members that are Roman Catholics, I think they're nice people. I like them, but just because somebody's nice doesn't mean that they that they have the gospel. Doesn't mean that they're saved. I think that Peter is in very serious error and consequently in very serious trouble. And I'm going to leave it at that. That's that's my concern for him. Joseph, did you have anything that you wanted to add to that or Yes, uh, um I'm going to I'm going to give my my personal thoughts on it. 
Um, so I'm going to go to First John chapter 3, verse 15. Um, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Uh, by by the by the standard of scripture, I I can't say that uh that he's a brother in Christ. Um, yeah. And so um, so I would start there. Praise for salvation, um, because um, you know God God is gracious and grants repentance. Prayer is is an instrument he uses in his sovereign will. Um, he needs he needs to pray to see truth and and to and to be given new life. I'm glad that you said that because uh, I I also wanted to to point out that in in our first two episodes we recorded both episodes at the same time. It was a three hour three and a half hour session three three hour session uh, because I I knew that once one of them aired and he started going back and forth with people that I wouldn't have another opportunity to record the second one. So and that that's exactly what happened. But in in both those episodes and in, in that evening. I extended to him the the title of brother, and I I would reference him as brother. Uh, I no longer do that because he's preaching a false gospel, and the he he professed Christ. Uh, so you know he he said he said he was a Christian, and so out of out of out of a desire to be charitable, I I said okay, you're a Christian. Like I'll. I'll extend to you the title of brother but i in good conscience I, I cannot do that until i see peter recant and change his view on some of these things uh so i, I just i wanted to make that clear i, I appreciate what you said joseph uh by, by the standard of scripture I, I can't call him i can't call him my brother i would love to call him my brother so peter if 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 you were able to sit through all of this if you were I mean, if I'm hoping that somebody's able to get this to you, because I'm obviously not. But if you were able to sit through all of this, I want you to know that that all three of us, all four of us, have a heart for you. That we care about you. We think that you are in error, and we're not trying to make a name for ourselves by by picking on you. We 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 genuinely would love. To see you correct these things, and um, and we're 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 for you, and we're praying for you. So with that, uh, everybody be warned. Peter Christian is out there. Do not follow him. Do not listen to him, uh, and pray for him. If you have an ear with him, then then challenge him on some of these things. And we will check you next week with uh, another episode. Hopefully, Tim Kaufman is going to be coming back. I'd like to maybe read some emails uh that, that we've gotten i, I want to say thank you to people out there who are emailing us have been a l- little bit slow on that but anyways guys i hope you have a wonderful week god bless